Hi, we are at the conference for the 10th anniversary of the UETS. Here with us, we have Jorge Moreira de Silva, Minister of the uh, Environment in the Portuguese government. Uh, the minister has been working on environmental and climate policy for many years, both at national and international level. And he was a member of the European Parliament and one of the authors of the first EUTS directive in 2003. Minister, how was possible to have uh, a policy, such a strong policy in EU? At the time, uh, the Parliament had to uh, decide on this process, and I was, as you said, uh, the draftsman. Um, we were very much focused on three main uh, goals. First, environmental integrity, so the scheme should fulfill the goal uh, of reducing emissions. Second, the cost effectiveness, which means that the scheme was uh, uh, addressing not only the need to reduce emissions, but mainly the way to reducing in the most cost-effective way to engage industry and economy as a whole uh, in a positive uh, manner in the process. And third, to ensure the non-distortion of the internal market. And when we suddenly have this uh, debate, it was very important to share with uh, stakeholders, with governments, with uh, companies, that we were being assessed internationally uh, uh, concerning our credibility. So we were looking to rescue the Kyoto Protocol. As you remember, uh, in 2001, the United States decided uh, not to ratify Kyoto. And in order to have the Kyoto in place, it was important to convince Russia and others to ratify. Without that, Kyoto wouldn't be uh, in place. Uh, and Europe would have to lead, leading not uh, uh, under a rhetorical approach, but leading by example, with our credibility uh, uh, based on our domestic action. So the emission trading was not only an important tool to reduce the cost uh, of reducing emissions in Europe, but uh, also important to show that we were doing at home what we were asking at the global level. And it was not an easy process. It was really a complex and difficult process because it was the first time that companies and member states were facing uh, a legally binding uh, uh, initiative to reduce emissions. So the cap-and-trade scheme, the emissions trading, was the first uh, uh, EU-wide legally binding uh, uh, policy to reduce emissions. At the end of the day, we were able to compromise. It was a, a difficult process with 500 amendments being presented to my report, we were able to compromise, to have it adopted unanimously at the Council and almost unanimously at the Parliament. And I think that the decisive issue was first, being a science-based approach, engaging NGOs, academia, stakeholders in the process. Second, to show commitment and um, uh, making sure that there was an alternative, but that alternative would be much worse. So every time uh, in the parliament, in governments, uh, with the business sectors, some, somebody was asking to uh, reduce the cap uh, or to reduce the, the ambition or to produce opt-outs or to undermine the environmental integrity, we were saying, okay, no worries, there is an alternative. But that alternative is much worse, which would be uh, regula regulation or uh, uh, 
uh, European uh, new taxes. So at the end of the day, the role of the Parliament was very important. I would like to emphasize that uh, uh, on climate change, politicians can make the difference. Uh, uh, it's not uh, in vitro or laboratory uh, um, mechanism. It's science-based, it's true, but at the end of the day, since this is co-decision, it's very important the role of the parliament, the role of government, the role of politicians, and that's why we must invest more on uh, this dialogue and on this uh, capacitation process. And I hope that as the, 10 years ago, Europe was able to lead by example, that now in our way to Paris, to have a, a successor of the Kyoto Protocol, having a, a Paris Protocol, that Europe again can implement efficiently the 2030 climate and energy framework adopted last October to reform the EU ETS to fulfill the new targets on renewables, energy efficiency and interconnections. And I'm sure that this debate has been very, very important I, and I appreciate the role of the European University Institute on this debate. Thanks. And after these 10 years of activities, what do you think are the major lessons from the UTS, both for EU and but also for country outside the EU? As you said, EU is somehow the leader in uh, these in climate policy in the world. I think the the, the lessons learned are uh, mainly on the uh, on the way to engage the, the the stakeholders in the process. I really think that. This was not uh, just an innovative environmental or climate policy. It was uh, really innovative in terms of political process because the engagement of stakeholders, the engagement of academia, the engagement of NGOs uh, was uh, vital. So I really think that uh, lessons learned are always, uh, in this case, related to this openness and uh, 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 ability to have the clear scrutiny of the, of the process. And, and also that uh, uh, others were looking to, to us. So the, when you uh, go to other countries, developed and developing countries, we can see that the cap and trade schemes are being developed and are being based on the UETS. So it was very important to, to develop a, a mechanism that was showing that climate change is urgent but it is also manageable and it can be cost effective. So that is the question. Rather than knowing that we, if you want to address uh, climate change or if we want to fulfill the two uh, degrees goal, the question is about the cost. So what uh, the, the cap and trade scheme shows is that we can fulfill environmental ambition at a lower cost. So this is the, the most important lesson learned and I hope that uh, this lesson is learned not only in Europe, but is also useful to other uh, countries and, and, and regions in the world that are designing their own policies. And lastly, um, also in view of the debate, the current debate on the reform of the UTS, how do you see this instrument uh, ten, year, 10 years from now? Well, first we were able to improve it. We were able to assess it. We were able to provide quick fix of some problems. First, backloading, uh, when we realized that the surplus of allowances was undermining the price signal, uh, Europe decided to have a backloading of the allowances. And now, uh, with the market stability reserve, uh, uh, we are again making sure that uh, 
the, the price signal that is provided by the cap and trade scheme will foster eco, will foster eco innovation. Uh, so we we have been able to to offer quick fixes to some problems. But now we need a, a structural reform of the scheme. Uh, I'm quite confident that uh, after the definition and the agreement already reached in October uh, on the 2030 uh, greenhouse gases emissions, that now uh, uh, the reform of the UETS will be very useful to make sure that the new target of 40% reduction by 2030 will be fulfilled at a lower cost. And again, it's up the, to the cap and trade to offer this cost uh, uh, effectiveness. Uh, uh, Portugal and myself as Minister on Environment and Energy, uh, uh, I have presented several times on the Environmental Council and at the Energy Council some proposals to make sure that uh, uh, even on, the, on the, the targets that are not legally binding, uh, like the renewables and the, the energy efficiency, that countries will have to present their own pledges uh, uh, through a bottom-up approach to make sure that uh, all the countries and mainly the European Commission can assess uh, 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 those pledges uh, uh, and conclude if we are or not on track uh, as a whole, as a European Union, on the targets that we have uh, agreed in, to, in October 2014. Okay, thanks a lot, Minister.